sports are really important vehicles for relationships. We have purpose. We have a why. We bring people together. We connect. I feel like God is our greatest supporter and our greatest coach. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sidelines. I'm Rabbi Erez Sherman from Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. And on this podcast, we speak about the intersection of sports and faith. We have a very special guest this week, somebody who has been through challenges and has also been to the top of the mountain as well. Coach Matt Saman from Grapevine, Grapevine Christian School in Texas, originally from Baylor Basketball, author of this amazing book, The Leftovers, Baylor, Betrayal, and Beyond, host of the Jamodi podcast, and just an amazing, amazing coach and human being. Coach Matt Saman, it's great to have you. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Of course. So as I told you just before, I read your book uh, via a different book. And the first book I read was Coach Scott Drew, which was your college coach at Baylor for just one season in 2004 and 2003, 2004. And then in that book, he speaks about you as the leftover. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, um, we're going to talk a little about Baylor basketball. But before we get to Baylor, your journey to that university, I believe, is just so fascinating. You love basketball and you love faith. Tell us, as a child growing up in Pennsylvania, not in yeah. Texas, but in Pennsylvania, how did those two things of sports and faith intersect in your life then? Well, faith was really important to myself and my family. My parents did a great job of getting us involved in, in church at a really young age. In fact, I was saved when I was five. I got baptized, and and that was always a, a driving force in our family. And then nine years old, uh, I started I started playing basketball, but then you know really realized that I, I had some natural ability in it. But more importantly, I really enjoyed learning new skills and adding new things. I luckily met some coaches early on that helped me to be really focused and kind of uh, point me in the right direction of, of how to become a college basketball player. And what, what happened was that our, my faith and then that journey to basketball, they kind of start in my mind, in my family's eyes, we start, it started moving in the same direction where we thought, you know, God is really on board with this plan that I have as a nine, 10 year old. But, but the biggest thing I think that, that separated me from some other kids, my friends was just the focus and the plan that I had uh, to get to that level. So was it a belief that God had that plan or did you see it as perhaps a blessing from God that the plan was working? Yeah, unfortunately, I think it was like, God, this is what I want. And if I do the right things, I know that you'll make it happen. Almost mm -hmm. almost like a personal genie. Mm -hmm. and, and and really, I think if we're not careful, you know, we, we read about and we, we talk about idols all the time. And and, and sometimes we can we can think that, well, that well, that doesn't happen anymore. We don't have wooden images that we're bowing down to worshiping. But, yeah, it's maybe even more dangerous now because mm -hmm. you don't even realize that a sport, a job, a relationship can become that for you really quick. So I've spoken to actually a lot of athletes, coaches, owners, and a lot of broadcasters, and they often speak about, you know, the player that goes like this after the home run or the touchdown, but the left fielder that dropped the ball is not doing that. So when That's you speak right. about the, the genie aspect, it's really fascinating because if God is going to be on that path, then also perhaps the faith has to be in the other path as well, which we'll speak about in a little while. You had a saying that I believe you learned from a coach. It's Jamodi, if I'm pronouncing that right, J-A-M-O-D-I, yep. and just a matter of doing it. That's how it started. Take us through Jamodi and how that came into your life. Yeah, it, it was a camp in seventh grade. Uh, I'm from Pennsylvania, like you said before, and uh, going through, I was at a camp going through some ball handling lines, and this coach just kept saying, guys, you got to do this. It's Jamodi. It's Jamodi. We'd do, do a drill a little bit longer, and then he'd say it again. Hey, you know what? I know it's hard, but it's Jamodi. Finally, like one of the campers had just the guts to say, Coach, what is that word you keep saying? <laughs> and he said, oh, it's just a matter of doing it. I have no clue who that was. If, if I mm. ever meet him, I'll say thank you, just because it, it really did become uh, almost like a personal mantra that I had for, for working on my game and, and getting better. And, in fact, my workout, I named it Jamodi 
uh, Jamodi, I would add new drills to it. It grew to where I had to split it up in Jamodi day one, two, and three because it was so large and I'd kind of rotate through. And just all, all the way through my kind of playing career and then into coaching, I've used that term that I learned in seventh grade. And so you took a strange path because not many kids at basically 10 years old tell their parents, you know what, I'm moving to a place where basketball can be better in Texas. Nowadays, we have the prep schools, maybe yeah. a, a gap year. So you get an extra year under your belt before Division One. But like at 10 years old, you're like, I'm going. And how did how, your parents said yes. And they came with you. How did that happen? So it pretty yeah, it is a pretty incredible story. When I talk to players now about how if you're really focused and you you tell your parents that you have this goal or dream, but you show them that you're serious about it, I I, I tell them they'll they'll do pretty much anything they can to help you. And I tell from experience. So it, it was a little bit later, uh, ten years old, nine ten years old is when I made I had three goals to get to make my freshman A team, mm -hmm. to make varsity sophomore, and to get a Division one. A scholarship to play basketball and, and so my dreams those were my goals and then all my my work ethic my focus kind of went towards that and going into my freshman year I, I one of my my first what I would call real coach Steve Yoder from up in Pennsylvania he moved down to the colony Texas and so I came down here to just work a camp with him um, and at that camp I met Tommy Thomas and Tommy Thomas was this larger than life character. He said, Matt, like, what do you want? I told him my three goals. He said, those can happen for you down here. And so I, I flew back up to Pennsylvania on the way home from the airport, said, mom, dad, you know how serious I am about this. I can become a college basketball player if we move to Texas. Mm -hmm. We talked about it on the way home, asked my little sister, would you want to go? And she said, yeah. Let's do it. And and then I started about two weeks later as a freshman at the Colony High School. So when, when I say, you know, because later on when we get into what happened that year, I think sometimes I, I've thought like it's just basketball. Like, why was it such a big deal? Uh, well, it's a big deal because it wasn't just my dream. Like my parents had sacrificed a lot for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of the death of like our 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 family's dream and all the sacrifice and time that they had put in, it's just hard to see it kind of go that direction. But that that's how I got down here. And, and uh, you know, those goals happened right in order. Freshman A team mm -hmm. at the Colony, which is a big, you know, public high school down here, you know, great athletes at the school and played great competition, made varsity as a sophomore, and then you know, going into my, my senior year, uh, signed with Baylor. So uh, let's start a little about your story from Pennsylvania to Texas. We'll watch this clip. I was obsessed with basketball as a child. And the whole point of working hard and sacrificing was to get to that point where I could play in the dance in March Madness. And going into my senior year at Baylor, all the time and effort and investment was really paying off in a big way. And it really looked like playing in the championship was gonna happen for us. And at that point, one of my professors called me and said, Matt, you need to turn on the TV right now. Baylor University officials. The Baylor basketball scandal. The man convicted of killing his teammate, Patrick Dennehy. I found out that one of my teammates had shot and killed another one of my teammates and found out that the coaching staff had been doing a lot of things wrong. So basically my entire team dismantled that day really put me on a path full of pain, broken relationships, and I just threw myself completely into the party scene. And when I would wake up the next day, all my problems were right there. So let's take a step back on the way to Baylor because we're the same age. And when I uh, was graduating uh, high school, I knew that my high school career was over. My basketball career was over, but I was gonna find the passion with sports the other way. And here you actually had to take it the other way. Now you said, even during your recruitment, I, the story was fascinating and beautiful at the time as I was reading your book that Coach Bliss had a Bible in his car and he would take you to FCA events, Federation of Christian Athletes. And this faith in basketball at Baylor seemed to be the perfect fit. Maybe take us through that recruiting process just a little and realizing, wow, this is the place that I can combine these two passions that I have within my family. I had several several offers and a few different colleges that wanted me to come visit 
SMU is our first visit and mm-hmm. it's right. I mean, it is 20, 30 minutes from here. So it seemed like I, you know, I could stay around home and, and be playing it. My parents would come watch me easily. And I went there and, and the campus is beautiful. I, one of the assistant coaches took me around, but I think I saw the head coach for about eight minutes total. Mm-hmm. And, and even I, even in that interview, I could find, I, I could tell he actually mentioned we're interested in one of your teammates from the summer, but right. if you want to come, like I just didn't feel mm-hmm. really wanted at all. And so then we left there with that feeling, went down to Waco and coach bliss met us right outside of the university, right uh, in Waco. And, and, and a lot of parked our car when we were getting into his car, my mom remembers she, she, uh, I got in the back, she was in the front, but remembers a, a Bible being right up on, on the dashboard. And as a, that was a sign to her, like she had, she had been praying a lot about the, you know, God showing us the right path for us, the right university to go to and where to, for me to play. And it was just incredible how he drove us all around campus really made me feel like I was the most important recruit uh, that, that he had. And, and the way that he was introducing me to everybody on campus, like I could see how proud he was, of the program of what they were doing, how excited he was for me to come be a part of it. Uh, he, he coach bliss sold me on going mm-hmm. to Baylor because up to that point, I don't think I'd ever been down there in mm-hmm. Waco. It's about two hours South of where we live and didn't know much about the university. And it was big 12, which that, that was a big deal, but I never heard much about it and lo- fell in love with the university, love what it stood for. You know, the place where you, you can be a believer, but, not necessarily, you know, they're, they're not hitting everybody over the head with it. It was just a very, just a great place to be. And, and in my, that final meeting with him, he outlined the offense we would run, uh, how he thought I would be perfect for it. And then he said, I want you to be a pillar of our basketball wow. program. And I, I mean, what 18 year old doesn't want to hear that from a coach. Mm-hmm. And so on the way home, I told my mom, I was like, that's where I want to go play. And she teared up. We both teared up. And she said, oh, I'm so glad. And it was kind of like, I mean, you go back to this nine or 10 year old. And when I talk to athletes about how improvement happens, it's never like, here's where I start. And then I just gradually move to where I want to be. That's not how improvement or success happens. Here's where you start. You, you work hard and you get a little bit better. And then you, there's some dips in the road. And then at some point mm-hmm. it, it zigzags all over the place. And so it had been difficult. I mean, and we had moved, we had left all of our family to come down here. And so a lot of pressure I felt on me a little bit to make right. sure this thing happens. And, and it just all, all seemed to be happening the right way. And so you have a couple of really good years. You're improving the dips, the roller coaster ride. And then of course this happens. And, with Patrick Denny, Carl Dotson, and it seems like by reading the book and by many years of hearing this story that there was almost a separation of who you were and then who, I don't want to say they were, but sort of different parts of the team, that you were known on campus as leading a moral and ethical life, but being part of the basketball team. I know it might be hard to recount and emotional, but take us through that moment when you get that call from the professor saying, you got to turn on the news. This is not what you think it is. I think another, just one more thing to kind of bring up about why it was so hard. I mean, not just losing a teammate in that, because that, that is just, it's kind of an unthinkable situation. Mm-hmm. Like you're never prepared for that. You never go into it believing that that could happen. But like you had, you had said before, uh, we had some good years. I mean, we were really on. I mean, I was actually, I, I got to talk to Kelvin Sampson, who's at Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was at Oklahoma at the time. And he even talked about how, good we were becoming you know we had we had we had two years my sophomore and junior year where i'd I'd become a starter and our record really didn't didn't show how good we were and how competitive we were but going into that senior year where we had some juniors that were going to be future nba players Mm -hmm. really good recruits coming in strong seniors like myself rt Gwynn, terrence thomas that were role role players but i mean almost 100 games under our belts at that point so it did all seem like this is what Coach Bliss had come to Baylor to do was to mm-hmm. turn this program around. You go and, and up to that point, you you, you you nailed it. I I was known as 
a believer on campus. I mean, literally known for that. I didn't drink. I didn't, I didn't go to parties. If I did happen to go to one, people would kind of hide their drinks away from me. They didn't want me to, they didn't want me to see them that way. You know, I've been a, really a part of FCAs. I've done a lot of those with coach bliss, got to go speak with him <laughs> and at those events. And that separation ended up helping me once everything kind of happened. Uh, I had a good group of friends that weren't basketball players and weren't associated. So going to that, that afternoon, I mean, I, it was in June. I just got done, uh, you know, lifting weights and playing sand volleyball. That, that was kind of my routine during the summer, stay on campus, be with a strength coach, take some classes so that I could take a lighter load during the season and then play some sand volleyball. That was our favorite thing to do. I go in and yeah, one of my professors called and this whole story, just in, unfolds right in front of me. Um, yeah, longest two months of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still feel that even to this point at 40. And yeah, it turns out one of my teammates, I'd shot and killed one of my other teammates. I mean, the guys that had been a lot, just a few lockers down from me, Carlton Dotson, actually, the, the, the one that did, that did kill Patrick, I would consider us friends, like as far as teammates go. We we had similar paths in playing time. We would have games where we play a lot, games where you don't play that much, and mm-hmm. we'd kind of be on the bench together, helping each other through that. And, and I really, I mean, I really liked him, and mm-hmm. I, it just didn't seem to me to have the personality that could ever do something like that. So that in itself was when his name was being floated around with doing it, and he he had actually already been dismissed from the team Mm -hmm. so in our minds he was already gone not even could be still around in Waco and and this this thing could happen you know and when that when when that tragedy happened they started to look into coach bliss a little bit more Mm -hmm. and do a deeper dive into what had been happening at our school and and this is another part where I mean losing losing Patrick and Carlton was difficult Patrick obviously the most and but then also finding out that this perfect like right. dream world scenario that you find yourself in mm-hmm. is actually flawed and and mm-hmm. and corrupt and and I didn't see it I didn't know it like I didn't know that they were paying players I didn't know like I thought Patrick was on scholarship here's mm-hmm. a 69 future pro who would have ever thought he's a walk on essentially and that they were paying for a school. Like those are just things I, I just didn't know. And that there was drug use and, and people were getting out of drug tests. I mean, I, I never got out of a drug test. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I had to do it, but I didn't, I didn't get asked to do it very often, you know? And uh, so all of that, this, this perfect world scenario. So when basketball is kind of stripped away right. and, and bad, all of a sudden I'm, I'm left with this answer. Okay. If, if I don't have basketball in my life, what do I really have? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I, I can't pinpoint the moment in my life where my faith really took a backseat. But it, I, I think it took a backseat so far that I didn't really I didn't see it or I didn't feel it in my life anymore. So here's a clip from you talking about one of your chapters in your book about plan God's plan and a wish. And you really speak about it in reference to getting Division One scholarship. But I want to speak about it in reference to what happened after. How many people are just wishing that that good things happen or that they reach their dreams? Uh, I think a lot of people, and it doesn't just have to be sports, uh, have these audacious dreams and goals that are maybe God-given that they don't actually have a plan to, to make them happen. So what happens to the genie of God when yeah. the Baylor scandal happens and you see this flawed aspect in the coach where you – put so much trust. And I just want to preface that with, and I've said this multiple times on the show, when I was studying to be a rabbi, we had to um, come up with an analogy or a metaphor of God. And the musicians wrote a song and the poets wrote poetry and the artists drew pictures. And I'm a sports enthusiast, passionate for basketball. I wrote as God as a coach Hmm. and spoke about when good things are happening, that coach is on top of the world. When bad things are happening, it's not necessarily the players, but it's actually the coach. But I didn't have the Baylor moment in mind where what happens if the coach aspect is actually flawed. And it seems like over the years, 
you tried to reach those moments of forgiveness with Coach Bliss until it got to a point where perhaps that redemptive piece wasn't going to happen. So what happens in this moment where maybe God had a different plan? And what is your wish at that moment? Well, looking back, I I wish I would have asked this question. I never did. God, what can Mm -hmm. I learn from this? Or how can I be used in this situation to glorify you? Not once did I ever ask that. And the me monster just completely took over in that moment where, okay, God, you, you have, in my mind, made all of this happen, got to me this point, and I've tried to live for you, but really just live good enough and, and, and try not to uh, outwardly sin enough to where you know, I feel like I'll continue to be blessed. And I think a lot of people are, are living that way is that, you know, mm-hmm. I'll do this if you do this. Yes. And, and so I, the decision I made at that was, okay, if, if you're not going to protect me or allow that my dream to finish this goal that I have to finish, which was to make it a March madness, to have this deep run, all these things. Cause I don't really have anything past college basketball. I think that's a flaw in our goals is like, if you're a younger kid and you're, you're dreaming about playing in high school, college, or, or pro. What else? What else do you have? Because it's and some you have point, said publicly that it was more athlete student as opposed to student athlete. Oh yeah, right. De- definitely there to in, in our in my warped mind to provide a service for mm. the students at Baylor. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's how. But you know, you, you get you become more kind of a what you feel like an entertainer. I have to. I have to perform and, and I had a specific role on the team as uh hardcore uh do anything hustle guy that will do whatever he can for the team so you got to live up to that you got to continue to put your body on the line and to give this incredible effort and to be selfless and so when you're doing all those things and now all of a sudden they're ripped away I took control of my life uh that mm-hmm. in that summer what, what I mean by that is took control of my, my peace, my right. happiness. God, if, if you're not going to make this happen, then I'm going to, I've got this now. And man, I just didn't realize at that time how much I would lose control over oh, almost every part of my life by making that decision as a 21 year old. So you actually talked about having a trust issue with God and you use a common uh, text uh, within the Christian and Judaic traditions of Moses and Joshua and the spies. You said that your dream was coming close to realize, but it would never see it come true. Moses gets the people to the promised land, and then Moses only sees into it and can't and has to pass it off to somebody else. Maybe speak about who who was Moses and who was Joshua in that moment for you. Oh, that's good. That's good. I, you know, I I think for a long time I I thought I was Joshua as far as I'm going to make it. You know, we we've, we've fought really hard and we've done we've gone through so many trials and you know, 40 years. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what God's so college basketball can kind of feel like at times. And, you know, and I've been faithful and so I'm going to walk through. And then all of a sudden because of other people's and that uh, kind of a, maybe a similar feel of Moses because of the rebellion of, of, mm. of those people. And then his anger and his mistrust, you know, he's kept out. I, I think I, I felt like both of them at times and then, but ultimately probably, probably like Moses, I think one of the most painful things is uh, when you have a dream and it's about to come true, like mm. you're about to, you're about to see mm-hmm. it happen and it doesn't like that, that pain I think is, is worse than your dream just never happening at all. Like not even, yes. I, I, I want to play college basketball. I hurt my leg and in high school, I couldn't do it. That would, that would be tough. But to actually get all the way through to where you're about to, like I can't imagine what that was like for Moses to be literally peering into this this promise, but to not get to be a part of it. Uh, I can't imagine. Well, I can't imagine how hard that was. But it was tough for me to feel like this is this dream now has almost become a nightmare. It's actually interesting that you say that because within synagogues around the world this week, we read the next portion where Moses hits the rock and he's not allowed into the promised land because of that. 
But when you think about the reasons why he hits the rock as opposed to speaks to it to get water, it's because of the other people mm. and how one person's dream is affected because of the actions of others as well. Have you been to the promised land of Israel yet? I have not. I, oh, I would love got, to, though. You gotta, we got to do that together on okay. a sports of faith mission. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you do that? Do you take people over Absolutely. There? Actually, in two weeks, the uh, Maccabee Games, basically the Jewish Olympics around the world, occur in the land of Israel. Um, many uh, actually Bruce Pearl is coach Pearl is taking the Auburn team for their European trip to Israel this coming summer as well. Wow. So, uh, we're excited wow. to, uh, and it's amazing, an amazing land of faith and uh, sports and specifically yeah. basketball is really coming up, uh, coming up more as well. Oh yeah. So the dream is not realized, but you become a leftover and mm. you put yourself in that position. You could have quit. Other people left. You were sort of too old to leave and uh, you were, you were stuck. Yeah, and Coach Drew comes in with a new, a, a new administration. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the Bible, you know, there's a new king in town, um, and he doesn't recognize Joseph. Basically, yeah. When Coach Drew sees you and he tells you you're going to be part of this because whatever you do here in 20 years, it's going to matter. Mm-hmm. How do you believe something like that? You know, I, I wish I wish I could go back. I've told Coach Drew this multiple times biggest regret I have is not believing in him more right at the beginning and not being a better leader for him and the team, because I think it was a lot of false effort, a lot of false leadership, trying to maybe show just enough to where, yeah, it looks like I'm on board, but really I'm mad and, and miserable and upset. And when he came in with, so he was 32 years old, mm-hmm. so much energy, so much hope, and what he, everything he was saying was good and right on the money. And most of the time, I think, I mean, I've told teams this, like you are a part of something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. You are a part of building, not just a foundation, but also like you're helping future success for, for future players. Like that's a great thing to be a part of. But for me, it wasn't enough at that point. Like I almost felt like, you know, th- it's time for, my success, my mm-hmm. time. Like I've, I've been waiting. We made the NIT my freshman year. We got beat bad for two years, but we we're getting better. And now this is supposed to be it where we're top 25. We're making the jump for the coach that I wanted to play for that I came there for. So and all, all, all these things. And the fact that I think, you know, I, I really had lived a charmed life up to that point. And I think that also helped with this belief that, you know, God is, that's make it everything I want happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's really, he's really got my back. And it, because I mean, our parents were together, never had had gone through much tragedy in my life and no severe injuries or anything as a player out of all those reps that I had had and, and pl- was playing at a level way above really what physically I should have been playing. So it just seemed like everything. And then this, this really rocked my, rocked my my that false ideology i had but then also my trust and i've always taught to trust my coaches and i asked that trust from my players right first mm-hmm. day i'm going to say hey i'm going to ask that you trust me over time i'll earn it but i'm going to mm-hmm. ask that you trust me up front i just couldn't do that with coach drew and and so when he's asking me to do some things early on that no coach had really ever asked i was the kind of guy like just give me the workout I'm going to go attack this thing. You don't have to mess with me anymore. And everybody else will watch how hard I'm working and they'll work harder. Like that, that mm-hmm. it was more of that leader by example piece that, that I think I excelled in. He wanted me to be more of this. Hey, you, you need to get these other guys on board yes. with what we're trying to do. Uh, you need to work out harder. Like first, don't question my work ethic. Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm known for. You know, you need to do this and that. And I just, I, I was just so resistant to it. And and then the off-court habits that I had really just thrown myself into in a matter of two months, that was really taking a toll to also. Who knew at that time? Anybody on the team, anybody on the coach, your well, family, or was that sort of the separate life? Yeah, that, well, it was kind of funny. My first three years, I, I didn't hang out with my teammates a ton. Uh, my freshman year, I did a little bit. Sophomore, junior, I didn't. It ended up keeping me out of the police investigation mm. <laughs> in a pretty big way. Like they brought me in one time to give my statement of what I knew. I told them, guys, I don't really hang out with them. 
outside of here. I don't know mm-hmm. much. Here are a couple rumors. Here's some things that are like, okay, sign your, you know, at the bottom and thank you. So that was really the only time I'd, I'd ever had to be a part of it, but yet I still, you know, we can, we can talk about this too, is I, this, this campus that I love. I mean, they, they looked at us differently at that point. Mm-hmm. Those of us that were left over were looked as if we were the ones that had done it. We were a part mm-hmm. of it. I'm like, guys, I, I've been here. Why all of a sudden do you think that I'm different or are you treating me differently? The unique thing that happened though was, and I think it ended up making our team as strong as it became was throughout that we were really all we had. Mm-hmm. We, we, I didn't have this friend group that I, I once had because any, I just felt like anytime I was around other people, it was, what do you know? What can you mm-hmm. tell us? Like, you know, I, they just wanted to talk about that or that, or I felt like they were if, either, whether it was true or not, I felt like they were looking at me differently. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. really more me and my teammates and us just finding any type of joy, fun piece that we could outside of basketball. And, and, and unfortunately a lot of it was, destructive and it was not positive but we were together and so we we kind of created more of this family feeling with our team that I really hadn't had my first three years so it seems like the approach of coach drew and coach bliss was different where the coach drew or sorry coach bliss is more like you said the me but I believe in more of the biblical sense and context actually in our tradition we say orla goyim a light unto the nations is this what you had to say about this and, and going into my senior year, I thought, you know what, God, if this is, if this is what's going to happen, if you're going to allow this to happen, well, then I'm going to have as much fun as I can, do whatever I can to laugh and to have peace and to forget this situation that I'm in. You know what? I never asked. I never asked this question. I never asked, Lord, this is, you know, this is a difficult time. What can I learn through this situation? How can I be a light to others during this time. I just became so selfish. Um, so it seems like Coach Drew made you ask that question, even though not explicitly. Like, uh, Matt, you are going to be a light unto others 20 years down the road. 20 years down the road, right? And how do you now use perhaps that motivation that he did into coaching high school kids that might want to play at Baylor one day today? Well, the meme monster is inside all of us. And it's and, so funny you say that because uh, I'll give you our the, the biblical term or the rabbinic term we call okay. the hara. It's the evil inclination. And I'm reading a lot of these sports books right now. And actually, uh, um, Miss Val, who's the Hall of Fame gymnastic coach at UCLA, she speaks a lot about this as well. That you, how do you suppress that, and how do you raise that good inclination? But I love well, the I love yeah. the monster terminology. It, it's the beautiful part of team sports is that if you want to win and you want to be your best, you have to suppress that and you have to try to build up others. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think I, I did excel in that. You mentioned the difference between Coach Bliss and Coach Drew. Well, their approaches were just, I, I can't imagine just more opposite mm-hmm. characters than those two. It, you know, Coach Bliss' first meeting was, I'm not your friend. You have enough friends. I'm going to coach you bas- in, in basketball. I'm going to teach you basketball. And uh, so, I mean, line drawn, you know, right there. Coach Drew comes in. Guys, listen, I love you. I care mm-hmm. about you. And, and I'm going to be here with you through all this. So, I, for, you know, I'm – it was it was more of like I, I liked – I was used to the old way of not your friend. Mm-hmm. You know, don't – don't Coach, Coach Bliss always had a little bit of a wall up. Even the time that I spent with him one-on-one, never felt like I really – got to know him but then then but then it was also practices and it was our style like with bliss it, to me it was serious basketball like we're we're a division one legit team with high aspirations then all of a sudden you fast forward going into my senior year now before even games or practices begin we were told you can't play in postseason mm-hmm. so it's like hypothetically if, if we had been really good <laughs> we 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 wouldn't have been able to play no big 12 tournament, no NCAA tournament. That's like you and I going to work and being told we're not going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm probably going to stay home. I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. not, I may come in for half the time then, you know, like that's just how we feel. So that all of that. And then, and then he, he was smiling 
and he was joyful and energetic and it just all good things. And he, you know, what's funny is he was, he was on the cutting edge. I feel like of really what modern coaching is now, which is we're going to have fun players. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to smile. Mm -hmm. We're going to hug each other. We're going to say these things. And, you know, now it's how I coach and it's how a lot of people do in the old school way of, you know, you're going to like what, what he says in Hoosiers, my practices are not meant for your enjoyment. That doesn't fly anymore. Interesting. And And do you see that as a positive in the culture of basketball? And do you think it still allows kids to reach your potential? Oh, I think, I think it, yeah, I think it allows them to reach even higher because it's, it's more, they're doing things extrinsically now because mm-hmm. they want to they want to compete they enjoy being there you and i when we enjoy what we're doing yep it's time flies by yep. you know this isn't work like what we're doing like this is fun and and it's more like that now where i feel like you can get even more out of your players because of that feeling rather than uh, uh did i say extrinsic before it's more intrinsic now. That's mm. what I meant. Nice. It's inside of them. Extrinsic is Coach Bliss's style. Do this or else I will run you into the ground or mm-hmm. else you will not play or you won't have a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can get people to do things that way for a little bit. But then at some point, that's what Bobby Knight ran into. Is thinking is that in players, my head, but didn't want to say it out loud. Yeah, player, <laughs> players were players started tuning them out. Players started saying, you know what? I don't. I'm out of here. When people uh-huh. started leaving Indiana, those great players started leaving Indiana. That's mm-hmm. when people started to start to look in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, and so it just, it's such a better way of doing it. And you asked about the me monster and, and being a light at, at great fine faith. That's our, that's our mission. Our mission is to be a light in the basketball world, not in just the way that we play, but in the way that we treat each other, yes. the way that we compete. Uh, we, we try to keep the main thing, the main thing which is not basketball. It's how we glorify God with what we say and do. Hmm. And, and I, that's all, that's all coming from coach drew. That's amazing that you say that's coming from coach drew, even though two decades before you didn't necessarily realize that I want to play this clip. It's my favorite song of all times. It's called one shining moment. And this is just a couple of years ago. And uh, I want you to think about 20 years ago and then think about when this happened. Little history tonight in Indianapolis. Butler. Oh, right in the heart. Coach Drew and Baylor complete college basketball's greatest rebound and rebuild with a championship. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, You are not wearing a uniform that night, but you were basically wearing a uniform that night. Where were you? How'd that feel? And take us down the parade route when you were invited back to the championship parade. Yeah, there's two times where I've kind of teared up uh, about Baylor basketball. The first was when they made the NCAA tournament the first time. I think it was five years after I graduated. I was in my apartment by myself watching Selection Sunday, and I was tearing up. Unfortunately, it was more to anger. Mm. Uh, I was frustrated that they were getting to do that and that I didn't get to do that. Um, and, you know, uh, even though coach drew, even five years before that, had said, you're a part of something bigger. It's still, it wasn't what I wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And, and so it took a lot, a look, a, a long time and really some life change for me to understand what he was saying, what he was trying to get us to do, understanding what we did actually by sticking around and, and, and per, uh, you know, persevering through that year. And then the second time was watching them. I was sitting in my, in my living room next to my wife, Jana, holding her hand most of the game. And I was terrified at first because we get up 10 to zero. And usually the team that gets yeah, up 10 to yeah. zero loses <laughs> because they're looking back at their lead. The other team has this almost they're backed into a corner mentality the whole game. And I don't know what the percentage is, but it's high. And this is from me playing and also coaching. If we get a 10 to 0, 11 to 1, something like that, I'll look at my coach and be like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It's just hard. It's hard for that team mentally 
to keep it going up, as yeah. their lead starts to lose or once they get down. Cause then they're that whole, like, Oh, we were up 10 to zero. How are we losing? So, and then we go up 20, but they storm back to cut it to 10 before half. And I thought, man, they just have the, the momentum, but then we come out and we just hit them in the face a few times with about five minutes left. I did allow myself to start to think like, we're going to do this. Like, I sat there at Coach Pulisic or Coach Drew's press conference, and you've seen the clips now. Like they've put, they played it a lot after they won it, where he said, "I can't, I didn't come to Baylor just to, you know, build, rebuild anything. I came here to win championships." Mm-hmm. Truthfully, at that moment, like I didn't laugh, but I felt like laughing mm-hmm. because, like, <laughs> I was sitting next to our team, which was like five or six guys. Right. And none of us were very good. And, and like, w- what championships could you possibly think of winning here? Uh, and and I, for him to say it then, that for them to be so good for so long, because they really the last decade they've pr- been pretty darn good. But to feel like I'm a small part of that, mm-hmm. to be a part of a championship program, I mean, that was the dream. Right. Like from the very beginning, it just took much longer and a strange path to get there. And and so, so thankful for him, uh, the vision that he had and the ability over the years to keep us former players, mm-hmm. keep reminding us. That's one thing I've learned from him too. keep reminding former players that they're a part of current successes. That's a really huge piece. So you just mentioned your wife, Jana, and we talk about God's plan and other people's wishes and being a light unto others. Um, it seems like Jana is a pretty big light uh, unto you. And this is mm-hmm. how you met. And I was closed off to, to anything that God was trying to tell me. And I was in control. I met with a pastor right after my 30th birthday. And I said, I'm angry. And I have questions about how a guy like me can, my life can be like this. He said, Matt, you've got to give up control. And I said, I feel like I've done that in the past. He said, no, I mean, really, give up control of your, your thoughts, your pain, your, where your happiness is coming from, and, and really trust in him. And the lady that uh, allowed me to, to meet with that pastor, we've been married now for nine or 10 years. God's plan is way bigger and better than, than our little plans. My plan was just to play college basketball. Who's Jana? How does she fit in this whole plan? Uh, you know, what's funny is there's no book uh, if if I don't meet her mm-hmm. because I had started writing it before. And I read a book called, uh, you'll, you'll like this as a sports guy, uh, The Walk-On, Life at the End of the Bench by Alan Williams. Nice. And I was reading this book. It's about this kid that I think Wake Forest, um, he, he walked on and and it was just his life grinding year to year, staying on the team. And I just really res- it resonated with me. I was like, this is basically my journey through college basketball, my first three years, except I was on scholarship. But you have mm-hmm. to you have to retain, you have to keep your scholarship every year. And they're they even tell you we are recruiting better players than you. Like that mm-hmm. without saying we're trying to recruit over you, that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And because they have to get better and they need better players than, than what they currently have. And so, I mean, 39 different teammates walked in and out of that door over the four years. And somehow uh, I am some of my team. Well, I was the only four year guy, you know, there that's right. that last year. So um, I had started writing the book because I, I thought, you know, I moving from Pennsylvania to Texas, working my way through a kind of a blue collar, type approach to college basketball and, and remaining, this might be interesting. And then I was like, okay, oh, my senior year, I, I get to that part. And it's like, I'm, I was 30, around 30 at the time. And how can, there's no ending to this story because mm-hmm. we had six players. We, we were eight and 21. Obviously we hadn't won the national championship yet. So not much had happened. And, I was miserable as a 21 year old, nine years later, I'm still living the exact same way. And I feel the exact, like that's a horrible book. Like it's super depressing. (laughs) And so I was kind of at this moment of, and I'm not saying like I went to church for that. I was just at rock bottom and, Mm -hmm. 
and and really asking like lord is this is this really what life is supposed to be like and and i because i had all this head knowledge from growing up you know in church and, ha- and having faith and but man i just gone i just moved so far away from it and and that day uh, meeting her like literally it's kind of a cool thing i mean I, walked, I went into a random church and I threw in a visitor card. I put my name on it. I said, I'm angry and I have, I have questions. Wow. Threw it in. Never think, because I grew up in church. I've always, I've seen thousands of visitor card offer, you know, guys, hey, fill it out if you're new. I've never done that because I was never, n- never been new to a church. Like I've always gone. And so I did it not expecting anything. Like, here's the crazy thing. Like God moments throughout your life, right? Like if I don't fill out that card. Mm-hmm. If I just go and I sit in the back and leave, never meet Jana. Wow. I never I never get to see what God's presence is like in someone else. I mean, mm-hmm. I really see that in her. And uh and also the accountability that she that she brought to my life too. And and man, got getting plugged in at that church with her and uh just Crazy, crazy life change there. <laughs> so you changed the definition of Jamodi from what we talked about, just a matter of doing it, to a different acronym. Yeah. Joy, attitude, motivation, opportunity, determination, and impact. That is awesome. <laughs> Tell us about that transformation. I've, I've been using the term forever. and But I, again, in the last, last decade of my life and, and just trying to grow you know, closer and closer in my relationship with God, I just felt like that term, just a matter of doing it, like it's, that's not really it. it, it it's good in the moment. Like I don't want to go work out today. Well, mm-hmm. it's Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Just mm-hmm. get there and and you'll be okay. So I get that part, but for like, for, it's misleading for, for kids or for people. Like when you're going through really tough times, when you have deep struggles, you know, and, and, or, you know, you're struggling in your faith. It's not just Jamoti. Like it's right. not just a matter of switching a light on or off. And, and at any time, like these kids, if they have hot dreams and goals of, yeah, I want to be a, a, a college player in some sport. It's not just as easy as Jamoti making it happen or else everybody would do it, right. but not many people do. Right. And so uh, this idea of, what would be a good journey or path, uh, a daily idea of, okay, today I'm going to wake up with joy. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose joy because of what God's done in my life. Mm-hmm. The fact that he saved me, you know, like I got that because of that, that gets to uh, change the the path or trajectory of my thoughts every day. Uh, I'm going to choose that joy every day. That That changes my attitude. It allows me to have an attitude of gratitude, even when things are really tough. I think when you have that attitude of gratitude, then you're allowed to, instead of, uh, you, you start to look for things to motivate you. I, re- I realized as a coach that not everybody wants to be motivated. I thought mm-hmm. at first everybody did, but you have a kid <laughs> say, listen, I don't want to be a college basketball player. That'll rock you. Like at first, mm-hmm. you're like, I thought everybody wanted to be that. No. And, and some people don't don't want to they can watch uh, Rocky six, which isn't the best of the Rockies. But when he talks to his <laughs> son about, you know, I used to hold you right here. Life is mean and hard and it'll beat you to your knees like that. I, that gets me riled up like I'm ready to attack the day. But some people will watch that and eh, th- that not everybody <laughs> wants to be motivated. But I think with joy, having the right attitude, if you're if you're motivated, then everything in your life is an opportunity. Right. There are not there are not good moments, there are not bad moments. They're all opportunities for you to be a light to somebody else, to grow, uh, uh you know, to get out of your comfort zone. Comfort zone is a beautiful place where nothing grows, right? And so like the if you look for opportunities, then there's going to be brick walls in your in your path. Randy Pouch said brick walls are there to show how badly you want something. You have to be mm-hmm. determined at times like there's days where you know what i'm busy today do i hit my quiet time or do i let it slip by and just Mm -hmm. do the catch-up button on my app which unfortunately i've done right Mm -hmm. like on my bible reading plan Uh, i have to be (laughs) determined to do the to get those things done that are really really important to me 
And then ultimately the I is we're here to impact others. That me monster, it's I gotta I gotta keep that that man down. It's not about me, it's about others. And it's it's a to me, it's a beautiful uh like I said, a step-by-step process mm-hmm. to attack every day, to attack your dreams and goals, but to hopefully keep perspective uh through all those things. So you're a high school coach in Texas. Where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully still a grapevine faith Christian school if they'll have me. I mean, I've got a I've got a really sweet a uh, sweet gig here where I'm at a school that uh, I, I'm uh, allowed to openly talk about my faith. In fact, we're mandated Beautiful. to have biblical infusion in everything that we're doing. That means uh, even at my silent study hall class that I, that I have, you know, the, the Bible has to show up there uh, in practice. If a practice goes by and in some way we can't connect something to their walk, hmm. I've missed the boat. You know, what that does to, honestly, I think if I was at a bigger public school where winning is really important, I think Coach Bliss would come back out because he's in there. You know, his, his way of thinking and that drive and that no-nonsense push, there's a part of me that still thinks that way or wants to coach that way. But I think being here where these kids come to faith for the the the, the biblical environment, the academics and third on that list is basketball. Hmm. I have to keep it there too. And so it's, it's really been a good thing for me. Um, I, I, I would love to still be doing that because also we all, we, we have a fun style of play that I feel like uh, there's, it's kind of like Pat Riley said, it's a, there's other ways to do it. We just hope we just happen to think our ways is is the best. (laughs) And, and I, and I think that about how we play here, and then I, I'm having a ton of fun with the Jamoti podcast, getting to speak with amazing coaches and leaders, learning a ton from them. So I, I think, Lord willing, I'll be doing exactly the same thing. But if he opens up doors, uh, I'll I'll walk through them. You got it. Well, when you need a rabbi on your next practice, you let me know. You got one here in Los Angeles. <laughs> Love it. We are honored to have Coach Matt Saman. Grapevine Faith Christian School in Grapevine, Texas, Baylor basketball, author of this amazing book, The Leftovers, Baylor, Betrayal, and Beyond. Matt, it's so great to speak with you, and we look forward to keeping in touch. Have a oh, blessed thank day. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was an honor. Thank you.